Chapter 6 Despite her gnawing curiosity, Finn avoided the subject of the sea or the black case for a few days. Bartimaeus went on teaching her his herb craft and cook lore with the same old cheerfulness, but she sensed it was best to give him some time before prying him further. Waiting wasn't something Finn had much practice at, however, and she decided on the following Monday that she'd done enough of it. When she ran off to the chapel for classes that afternoon, she was preoccupied with the things she intended to ask Bartimaeus after dinner. "'You may put away your books,' said Sister Hilda to the class. "'Today we are going to discuss matters that are becoming increasingly important. Henceforth we shall devote each Monday's studies to this new curriculum. Let us call it Contemporary Happenstance.' She looked pleased with herself and was also pleased to find the class paying more attention than usual. Can any of you tell me what is going on in the world outside our little town? She scanned the class for answers, and Finn stuck her hand up. Hilda ignored it. Exactly. You haven't an inkling. The world is moving very quickly outside our gates, and it's time that you understood it. Can anyone tell me what taxes are? She scanned the room. Finn shot her hand up again. Miss Button? When the British take money that's not theirs. I see your work with Brother Bartimaeus has more than his cooking rubbing off on you. Taxes are monies collected by the government for the purpose of funding the needs of the country. Some people here in the colony of Georgia feel the crown of England is due little money from us, and to that effect, this past week in Savannah, most of the merchants have stated their intent to boycott or refuse to buy any British goods. Can anyone tell me what effect this might have on us? She scanned the room. No hands. Well, overall, the effect is tension between the colony and the crown. There are many here and elsewhere in the colonies that advocate independence. It's entirely possible, children, that there is a war coming. The threat of war wasn't something new, but that Sister Hilda had now spoken its possibility aloud gave it a substance it hadn't had when it was nothing more than a rumor and hearsay. Our proximity to Savannah could have serious consequences for us. And it's this situation that I wish to help you all understand in our coming Monday afternoons. Any questions? Danny Schumann raised his hand. Yes, Mr. Schumann. Well, if there is a war, do we get to kill the British? He asked. Several other boys whooped their approval. Uh, the question, Mr. Schumann, is rather, if there is a war, do the British get to kill you? Filda raised an eyebrow at him. Well, God save us all if it comes to war. Now let us begin with the idea of representation. A proper understanding of contemporary happenstance is impossible without a proper understanding of the terms, ideas, and philosophies that drive it. Hilda spent the rest of the afternoon talking about the Magna Carta and Parliament and other such things that would have put most of the class to sleep had she not been so vigilant a watchman. When Sister Hilda dismissed them, Finn caught up with Peter in the courtyard. Bartimaeus says there's a war coming for sure. He thinks the Brits got no business with us at all and we need to go independent, even if he won't say it, she said. Don't really see this got a lot to do with us. I've never seen any British around here, said Peter with a shrug. Oh, come on, Peter. Do you expect to spend your whole life in Ebenezer? When we get out of here, do you really want to be under the thumb of some king all the way across an ocean? Well, I never really gave much thought to leaving. Why would I go anywhere else? Finn balked. Peter Lemie, if you think I'm going to stay my whole life in this town, you've got a block of wood between your ears. Well, what does me staying have to do with you? Peter asked. Finn tried to put together an answer to that question, but couldn't. When she attempted to open her mouth to speak, her trembling bottom lip interfered. A knot swelled up in her throat, and she felt the sting of ready tears in her eyes. She wouldn't have it, though. 
A white flash of anger erupted in her mind, and before she could untwist her emotions or get a word out, Finn reeled back and threw a punch. A perfectly baffled Peter Lemie received the blow squarely in the chin, and Finn left him lying in the dirt. After dinner, Finn washed the dishes and swept the floor, then approached Bartimaeus as he was wiping down the dinner table. He looked at her sideways and knew she was up to something. He raised his eyebrows and made a beckoning motion with his hand. Ah, get it out, missy. You've been hemming and hawing all day about something. I suppose you best let it out before you pop. Well, you remember the fiddle you showed me? Oh, sure. Ain't had to play it much lately. Got all that stuff turned out, he said. Well, could you teach me? He stopped what he was doing and looked at her for a long time, considering the request in his mind. I was right about that hurtful stuff you got, huh? Finn shrugged. Miss Button, it would be my pleasure. But see here now. Sister Hilda don't like fiddling, calls it heathen music. Now I got no idea why some music might be fit for the Lord's ear and some ain't. But I was never one for following rules much, so I'd do it anyway. He chuckled. Now I'll be happy to teach you, but we got to be quiet about it, see here. We can sneak the old fiddle out when we goes on our walk for some herbs. Oh, thank you, Brother Bart. Finn ran to throw her arms around his neck, but he backed up and stopped her short. See here now, you can't be calling me that, missy. Don't no one call me Bart no more, and that's the way I like it. Bartimaeus is the name my folks give me, and you got no reason to go changing it. With a confused look, Finn acquiesced and finished delivering her hug. As she walked out the door, she threw one last smile back at Bartimaeus and saw him staring after her in solemn consideration. It made her feel uneasy, and she couldn't shake the feeling for the rest of the day. Outside the gates, the new chapel was beginning to take shape in earnest. Boys worked day in and day out laying bricks and mortar. With each new brick, the walls seemed to be rising out of the ground, as if the building was sprouting from a seed of stone planted in the earth. In the short time that Peter had been working on the chapel, he'd managed to make quite an impression on Mr. Hickory as a hard worker and a quick learner. He was also starting to make quite a different impression on Finn. The hard work had changed the boy of a year ago into a darkly tanned and tightly muscled young man. And some days, Finn found herself sneaking out to the work site not to see how the chapel was coming along, so much as to watch Peter work bare-chested in the sun. Finn found that more and more often she felt self-conscious when Peter's eyes were on her. Brushing her hair and washing her face weren't things she ever did unless the sisters ordered her to it, but lately she discovered she had the uncontrollable urge to do so any time she was likely to see Peter. The following day, Finn and Bartimaeus slipped out into the woods. They walked and talked until they came to a small draw near the river with a fallen cypress to sit on. Bartimaeus opened his case and lifted out the fiddle. He laid it into the crook of his neck and played a few notes, then tuned it up and lowered it. All right, missy, now let's see. Bartimaeus held out the fiddle. Finn took it and held it gently with her fingertips. Ah, put her up to your neck. Uh-huh. Yeah, right there. Now hold the bow. Uh-huh. Before he could say anything else, Finn slid the bow across the strings and made such a screeching racket that every dog for a mile around perked up its ears and sniffed the air in alarm. Whoa, missy, hold on now. If we're going to do this, you got to listen to me. Sorry, she said and squinted in embarrassment. Here, put your fingers like this. Now, pull the bow easy. Loosen up, loosen up. Can't be making the beauty when you all tightened up like that. Relax, missy. Finn put her excitement aside and did as he said. She pulled the bow across the strings and the fiddle sighed a note. There you go, that's right. Now then, let me have that back so I can show you how to do. For the rest of the morning, Bartimaeus immersed himself in the long process of teaching Finn to tame wild sound into music. 
Finn hoped she'd be playing like Bartimaeus by the end of the day, but was a little daunted at how hard it all turned out to be. Finn wasn't one to give up easily, though. She resigned herself to keeping with it and meant to make Bartimaeus stick to his promise of teaching her, no matter how many mornings it took. At dinner, Finn relayed the entire experience to Peter. Well, don't let Sister Hilda catch you, he whispered, throwing a cautionary glance toward Hilda. Her nose seemed to be quivering ever so slightly at the suspicion that someone was talking about her. I'm not worried about her. Bartimaeus could deal with her anyway, Finn assured him. How was work? Mr. Hickory says that after the chapel is finished, he wants me to go apprentice with him in town. Really? Peter shrugged unenthusiastically. He's already spoken to Sister Carmeline. She told him it would be fine. Well, what's wrong with that? Finn couldn't believe he wasn't excited. I've never been away from the orphanage. Going to live in town is just different, is all. Wait, living in town? Well, that's what he wants. I'll go live with Mr. Hickory, and he'll teach me all about carpentry and stonework. He doesn't have any sons. I think maybe he wants me to take over his work one day. Finn knew she ought to be happy for Peter, but she didn't like the thought of not having him around. If Peter left the orphanage to live in town, she'd rarely be able to see him, unless she took to sneaking out, and that was liable to end up with more trouble from Sister Hilda. It'll be like you have a real family, Peter. You'll love it. She tried to sound optimistic, but had the distinct impression she failed. Peter just shrugged. Winter came on hard enough that year to put the chapel work to rest, and life slowed down for a while. Peter enjoyed his extra leisure time and spent much of it reading books borrowed from Sister Carmeline. Finn continued her daily fiddle lessons, and by the end of the year she felt rather good about her newfound talent. The weekly contemporary happenstance classes continued, and Sister Hilda kept them all up to date on any news she heard during her supply trips to Savannah. All the unrest seemed to be up in Boston, and folks in Ebenezer had little real concern for any of it. After all, the British weren't killing people. It was just a legal mess over taxes. The boycott in Savannah had produced one effect, however, that did increase the tension in the town. Protests had spurred the royal governor to send out British patrols. Every week, a small detachment of red-coated soldiers marched through town. Some of the townsfolk greeted them and waved, while others spat or stopped what they were doing to afford them grim stares. Finn didn't know what to think. The fancily dressed men parading through town with muskets held at the ready were quite a sight to see, but it made her skin prickle. It was as if the entire colony was under the watchful eyes of an ominous Sister Hilda clothed in red. When spring finally came around, Peter was anxious to resume work on the chapel, and the sisters were equally anxious to get him and the other boys out of their hair for most of the day. On Peter's first day back to work, Finn ran out to the chapel site to find him. She spotted him talking to Mr. Hickory and stood nearby, bouncing on her toes in anticipation as she waited for them to finish. You ready to get back to work? Mr. Hickory asked. Yes, sir. Been kind of bored the last few weeks. Good, good. I figure with a little luck we'll be about done here by fall. Got them other boys working on pews down at the wood shop right now, he said. Mr. Hickory pointed to Finn, who was bobbing up and down like an excited puppy. I think this little lady is wanting to talk to you, he said to Peter. Peter, I want to show you something. Peter rolled his eyes. I am scared to ask. Oh, come off it. I've been working on this all winter. When can you meet me down at the river? Well, not until after dinner said Peter with a look toward Mr. Hickory. Okay, I'll see you there. She grinned and ran off to the dining hall, leaving Peter feeling like he was going to end up in trouble. Before dinner, Finn found Bartimaeus pouring over a pot of stew and muttering that it didn't taste quite right. She stood at the door considering him for a moment, then ran in and hugged him. What are you working on? Finn asked. 
Stirred us up a pot of stew for dinner. Use some of that old pork from last night. He dipped in a spoon and sampled it. Not got the spice just right yet. Not sure what it's missing. Taster ain't as good as it used to be, he said and chuckled. Well, let me see. Finn plucked the spoon out of his hand and tasted it. It just needs a little pepper is all. She reached for the pepper box. That's my missy. She threw a few pinches into the pot and stirred it. Try this. Finn dipped out a spoonful of stew and handed it to him. Hee-hee, <laughs> you have got the touch, Miss Button. Got it right on the spot. Bartimaeus smacked his lips and went back for a second sample. Mmm, mmm, yes, ma'am, you have indeed got the touch. The winter had taken its toll on Bartimaeus. It took him more effort to lug pots up to the stove, and he'd more and more often ask Finn to reach things on top shelves because he couldn't stretch so high as he used to. Watching his age wear him away made Finn sad. But more than sad, it made her feel necessary. When she first started working with him, she felt out of place and underused. He'd been the one doing most of the work and seemed happy enough to be doing it. Now their roles had turned. Necessary wasn't something she'd ever been before. And she didn't think she could bring herself to leave him, even if Sister Hilda ordered her to. How you coming with the fiddle now that you've been practicing all on your own? He asked. Well, I've composed something for Peter, she said with a bit of a blush. Oh, indeed. My song's not good enough, eh? Got to go making up your own. See here. Well, he hasn't heard it yet. I'm going to play it for him tonight. Well, you two be careful now. Woods ain't no place for two kids running around at night. The woods are safer than Sister Hilda. Well, maybe they are now. Maybe they are. Let's get to work on them biscuits. Dinner will be here before we know it. Stu was never a big favorite with the children, but it went over without complaint. Sister Carmeline took the opportunity to announce that with the foreseeable completion of the chapel, plans would soon take shape for the dedication ceremony and the first Sunday service. She and Hilda were both very excited. After dinner, Finn made quick work of cleanup, grabbed the fiddle case, planted a kiss on Bartimaeus's cheek, and slipped out the door. When she got to the river, the sun was just starting to slink out of sight behind the trees, and she found Peter skipping stones on the bank. I bet you can't skip one all the way across, she teased him. I bet you can't either. You're on, said Finn. She set the fiddle case down and knelt to find a perfect stone. You're mad, you know that, said Peter. We'll see. Finn found the stone she was looking for. She stood up and stretched her arms. Ready? Peter shook his head and chuckled. Ready when you are. You first, Pete. Peter turned, slung his stone, and watched it fly. Plink, plink, plink. Bloop. It stopped about twenty feet short of the far side. All right, your turn. Finn made a big show of eyeing the angle of her toss and winding up and then let fly the stone. Plink, 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 crack. It landed in the rocks on the far side. She looked supremely satisfied. Well, do you ever lose, said Peter, shaking his head at her. Well, maybe I'll let you win next time. Finn smiled at him, then grabbed the fiddle case and ran up the bank. She sat down between the knees of an old cypress and opened the case. Peter dropped down beside her as she lifted the fiddle and the bow. You have to promise not to laugh. And why would I do that, said Peter with a grin. Finn smiled at him and shrugged playfully. Well, if you don't promise, I won't let you win next time. All right, no laughing, he said, though he looked as if he might burst into laughter at any moment. Finn played a few notes and tuned up the fiddle. Then, satisfied, looked at Peter. I made this up for you, so if you laugh, I'll knuckle in your lip. 
Peter grinned at her and nodded. Finn began to play, but she was nervous. Her hands shook, and the notes came out unsure of their places. But as she continued, she began to relax, and the music smoothed like the river after a stone's ripple. Her song was a juxtaposition of two melodies, one light and dramatic, the other slow and steady. She wove them together into a tapestry of sound that stumbled and wavered until at last it found its way into beauty. Peter listened in simple awe. The last time he'd heard her play, he was reminded of Sister Carmeline's unbearable vespers singing, but the sounds Finn formed now were sublime. Her eyes were closed and her face was lost in the playing. She rocked back and forth with the rhythm of the bow, and the melodies of her song danced and entwined, one round the other, until the sun crept away and the gathering dark won the night. The final note hung in the air for a golden moment, like a whisper between lovers, then faded away into silence. Finn lowered the fiddle and looked at Peter. He was lost in shadow. A glimmer of moonlight caught in his eyes and gave him away. They sat in the darkness for a long time, silently looking at one another, neither willing to break the spell. Do you like it? Finn whispered. Peter didn't speak. He leaned forward in the darkness and found her face with his hands. Then he kissed her. In the midst of the kiss, Finn felt she'd been longing for it all her life and wondered why she'd forestalled it for so long. She had always moved too fast or Peter too slow, but not now. They moved together, and Finn held herself steady in the moment. I've been waiting to do that for ten years, Finia Button. Well, why'd you wait? You never stay still long enough for me to catch you. Finn leaned forward and kissed him again. Then I should be still more often. She carefully placed the fiddle back in its case. The moonlight glinted off the silver-worked handle of the old blunderbuss and caught in her eye. She ran her finger over the weapon's handle, and Peter pulled her hand away. Don't, he said. It's dangerous. But it's so pretty. Finn shrugged Peter away and picked up the gun. It was heavier than she thought it would be. She held it up to her face and smelled its cold iron tang. Finn, please don't. I only want to hold it, and I don't need looking after Peter Lemie. I don't want anyone to get hurt, that's all. Finn held the gun against her cheek and a shiver trickled down her neck. It's all right, Peter, look. Finn put the gun back in its case and smiled at him. See, everything's fine. She reached for his hand and a cry rang out from the direction of the orphanage. Someone was shouting in the dark. Finn snapped the case shut and as they ran up the hill, they saw townspeople pouring out of their homes and gathering in the road. Outside the gates of the orphanage, a man on horseback was waving a piece of paper in the air and a crowd had congregated around him. Damned redcoats! They've started it! They've started it! He cried. People were filing out of houses all over town and coming to see what the commotion was. The orphan house had emptied and the sisters stood at the gate. Brother Bartimaeus spotted Finn and hurried over to her. Calm down, man. What have they started? Said a voice from the crowd and Mr. Bolzius stepped out. What news and what proof? He demanded. A massacre in Boston, sir. Brits opened fire on a crowd peacefully gathered. He handed the paper he was waving about to Mr. Bolzius. It's all there in the Gazette. The bloody Brits are murdering honest folk in Massachusetts. It's only a matter of time now. He looked at the mayor to see if his message was clear. I see, said Mr. Bolzius, as he handed the paper back to him with a worried look. Thank you, good sir. Now, if you please, leave us to our thoughts and our beds. The gentleman on the horse didn't like Mr. Bolzius' reaction. Can't trust them, you hear? He began shouting at the crowd again. Don't trust a one of them. You hear me? War's coming. Coming soon. 
He looked around madly. Coming to Georgia! He spurred the horse and it jumped into a gallop. The crowd parted and he rode out of town toward Bethany to break the news there. As he faded into the night, the crowd broke into a chatter of questions, worries, and fears. Finn and Peter looked at each other, speechless. Bartimaeus stared down the road after the messenger with worry in his eyes. Do you think it's true? Finn asked Bartimaeus. He didn't answer right away. When he did, he didn't turn to look at her. I expect it is. Was bound to come to it sooner or later. What are we going to do? asked Peter. Do nothing. We do nothing except go about our business like always. Might come a time we got to decide what side the fence we sit on. Lord willing, we won't. We do nothing, see here? Bartimaeus turned and walked back through the gate. Finn and Peter followed and ran to bed before the sisters could wonder why they'd run up from the direction of the river. The next day, the community was abuzz with what-ifs and what-to-dos. Mr. Hickory told Peter that fistfights had broken out the night before between Loyalists, Tories he called them, and a few of the more outspoken Continentals. One of the Loyalist families had even started moving out of their house in town to make a permanent home of their farm in the country. Didn't feel safe anymore, they said. Sister Hilda made use of class time to inform the children of the news and assured them that Boston was a very long way off and they had no reason to feel in any danger in Ebenezer. Finn was uneasy about the whole thing and had to push down fluttery feelings of excitement. She told herself there was nothing exciting about the possibility of war, but the more she thought about it, the more ashamed she felt that she really was excited. While she and Bartimaeus watched the breakfast dishes, she fired question after question after him. Who decides if there's going to be a war? Where do you think the British will attack next? Savannah? Do we all get guns if they come to Ebenezer? How many British do you think there are? If there's a war, do you think King George will come fight? And if we kill him, do you think we'd have to find someone to be king of Georgia? Finn had more questions than Bartimaeus wanted to give answers to, and by the time the dishes were done, he had gone quiet and dark. If it comes to fighting here in Georgia, will you fight? she asked. Bartimaeus looked at her with a sharp eye and considered it. He's bones too old for fighting, Missy. I won't be running off with the young fellers. Well, have you ever had to fight before? Fight? I done plenty, I reckon. Never for no cause or such, just young man's foolery. His tone told Finn he didn't want to talk about it, but she didn't let that stop her. Like battles? Indians? Well, that's all dead now, Missy. I'm dead to it. I'm a different man now, he said. Leave it be. It was an order. Finn pressed him. Why do you always do that? Why can't you just tell me? I said, leave it be. He turned away from her and walked toward the door. Well, I don't want to leave it be. I want to know who you are and who you were. He spun to face her and his eyes changed. It was as if that hurtful place he loathed to look upon was now right in front of him, and he exploded upon it. Piracy and pillage! Is that what you want to hear? Murder, rape, rum, ruin? That's who Bart is, that's who I was. The creases of his face spread to an unclenched visage of anger. I killed men and women, children, English, colonist, French, Spaniard, Moor, Turk. You name it, I killed it, Missy. This what you wanted? Finn shrank away. Oh, don't be scared now. You ain't heard the worst of old bloody Bart. Laid down with a whore, he did, and cut a throat because he didn't want to pay. Give up his own friends for gold and a gallon of rum. He flung open the fiddle case. The morning light fell on the blunderbuss inside. Its silverwork gleamed as if freshly wakened. Bartimaeus grabbed the weapon and flourished it. Me and old Betsy here done our bloody work from Mexico to Mediterranean. Left a trail of blood and tears that leads straight to hell, missy. Straight to the burning fiery pit.
You happy now, Miss Button? This what you wanted to know? Finn backed up against the wall and slid to the floor in tears. Bartimaeus threw the gun, Betsy, down on the table in disgust and sat with his head bowed, breathing heavily. The only sound in the room was of tears and regret. Oh, I'm sorry, Missy, he whispered. I'm so sorry. Finn stared at him and cried. She huddled against the wall as if trapped in a cage with a wild animal. It was Reverend Whitfield that found me. He spoke softly and kept his eyes to the floor. He was preaching outside London. Must have been ten thousand folks come to listen. More people than I ever saw at one spot. Listened to him for a bit, and it reminded me of talks my mother used to give. All that about sinning and redeeming and repenting. Sounded like foolishness to me, but maybe because I was drunk. I don't know why, but thinking about my dead mother started me to crying. Next thing I see is Reverend Whitfield bending over me, telling me to stand up. So I done like he asked, and he told me it weren't like a man to lay drunk while he was preaching the word. And if ever I was to be a man, I'd have to stand up like I just done, only to keep standing. Couldn't never lay down, he said. And I told him I couldn't do that, and he says, I know, son, but God will pick you up when you fall. Told him there wasn't no God where I live, and he said I best find a new place. That's how I come to Ebenezer, see? Reverend Whitfield told me he knowed of a place needed a good standing-up man to help out. A place there wasn't so many temptations for a man with laying-down troubles. He told me the good Lord chose all us sinners to be saved way back in the old days, and all the devils in hell wasn't going to come between God and the man he done chose. Figured I might as well stop putting devils between us if that was the case. And so, here I am. Put away old Betsy. Spent the last of my money on a fiddle I seen laying in a shop window in Savannah the day I set feet off ship and sea for the last time. He finished and wiped his hand across his forehead. His face was familiar again and loving. His creases and wrinkles relaxed back into their places, but it seemed to Finn they ran deeper than they had before. Well, how did you know he chose you? Finn whispered. Oh, I don't know. When the reverend went to telling me, I wasn't no place to do much arguing. And what if God didn't choose us? She whispered from the shadows. Does that mean all the angels in heaven can't stand between us and hell? Well, what's this talk? See here, you got no place thinking like that, missy. If ever there was a little miss, I'd say God chose, it'd be you. Finn didn't answer. Chosen was what she wanted to be more than anything. Not chosen to do chores or to work with Bartimaeus, but chosen to simply belong. I've been standing up for nigh on twenty years now, Bartimaeus smiled. Got lots of help along the way, from the Reverend, from Mr. Bolzius, from the sisters, and maybe you don't know it, but this last year you've been helping me to stand up, too. He offered her his hand and she took it. He pulled her to his chest and hugged her. I'm sorry, Bartimaeus. Oh, don't you be sorry now, don't you be sorry. Sometimes we got to look in the dark to see how bright's the dawn. Bartimaeus released Finn and gently pushed her away. He grabbed up Betsy from the table and put the gun back in its case. Then he lifted the fiddle and cradled it in the crook of his arm. I reckon I got fiddling to do. Got to turn it beautiful. He smiled and winked and walked out into the morning. <laughs>